This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, March 24th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still celebrating the launch of the MyPillow version 2.0. Get a promo code STEAK here, you're going to get buy one, get one free. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. And a promo code STEAK there, you're going to get 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak if you want the pillows. There's more into the coffee, mystore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, trying not to do it a third time, get those ear needs taken care of and done up right. Aussie.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram, find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram. It's Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, and to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social, welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 224. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we got a great show lined up today. Preston Parr is going to be joining us for the first time. We'll sit down with economist Jim Nels as well. And Kenny Cody is making his Steak for Breakfast debut. We've got a lot of news to break down as well. But before we get into any of them, let's jump right into it. All right, getting things started here. As I already mentioned, this is the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If it's your first time listening, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Uh, so one of the big things, I, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people are missing out on uh, over the course of the past couple of weeks, it's been a developing story that we've been tracking on the show. And fortunately for you, our listeners, but hasn't really been tracked that much in the mainstream media, is the now Facebook official relationship between China and Russia. Mm. So... They are looking to make some generational changes, ones that haven't been seen in over 100 years, according to their hot mic, probably staged moment this week when Xi Jinping met with Vladimir Putin in Moscow for three days. I saw Tucker did a little lead in that kind of starts to deconstruct just what 
the visit was about. Let's listen in. Let's pretend for a sec that our country had a news media that was interested in bringing you the news, not in lecturing you about your moral inferiority. You're so bad. Or lying to you in transparently obvious ways. January 6th was an insurrection, guys. <laughs> or even enforcing you to repeat whatever childish slogan they've come up with this week. Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Okay. Trans women are women. All right. Say it or else. Let's imagine instead that we live somewhere completely different in a country where the media felt obligated to tell you what was actually happening in the world and why it matters. What stories would we be talking about right now if we lived in that country? Well, here are the first two. Earlier this month, Iran and Saudi Arabia, the two most significant powers in the Muslim world, announced that after generations of proxy wars and snarling hostility to one another, they will be resuming diplomatic relations. Peace has broken out between blood enemies. As recently as last year, very few would have thought that could happen, and now it has happened. And it's happened, and here's a significant thing from an American perspective, it's happened because China, not the U.S. State Department, but the communist Chinese government, brokered the deal. The world's largest atheist state has halted religious conflict between two theocracies. Did you see that coming? Probably not, but there's more. Yesterday, China's President Xi turned up in Moscow to announce a new partnership with Russia. Going forward, Russia will supply much of China's oil and natural gas. Vladimir Putin also agreed to use Chinese currency in trade with Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Once again, holy smokes. As with the Iran-Saudi summit, very few people imagined anything like this could happen just 18 months ago. Quote, change that hasn't happened in a hundred years, Xi said, is coming, and we are driving this change together. Now, what change was Xi talking about? Well, the end of American global hegemony, the end of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. For a hundred years, he got it right, since the close of the First World War, the United States has been the preeminent nation on Earth. For 40 of those years, we were locked in a cold war with the Soviet Union, of course. But at no time, no matter what they may have claimed, was there ever really a question about who was the most powerful country. We were the most powerful country. It was the American era. That era just ended, a little over two years into Joe Biden's presidency. But amazingly, no one in this country seems to notice that it happened. That story is not leading the news tonight. Instead, we're arguing about whether or not to arrest Donald Trump for a fake crime to keep him from running for president again. Over at the White House, our senile president just gave some sort of medal to a sitcom actress, presumably for her bravery. You read those scripts so boldly. CNN is covering that story like it's the moonwalk. <laughs> On Twitter, meanwhile, people seem excited that our vice president has sent a letter to a transvestite TikTok star called Dylan Mulvaney, who is famous for dressing like a six-year-old girl. Kamala Harris is very proud of him. That's the news we're getting. Weimar, but dumber. And that's the news that you're being spoon-fed in the mainstream media, not the news that you're getting here on steak for breakfast and and you know the way we've covered this and kind of unpacked it for you guys over the course of the last well since at least since last february when the russia ukraine conflict started was you know what happened that led up to that joe biden's awful comments regarding minor incursions and then the stuff with the nord stream pipeline that he reversed on day one uh in regards to donald trump's sanctions the fact that he wouldn't sanction uh you know Chinese oligarchs and uh, some of the Russians who have ties to energy-related things that Joe Biden's family is connected to. And here we are, uh, the largest economy with the highest population on Earth, 
now has a blossoming relationship with the largest landmass and producer of energy on the planet. And they've in turn welcomed in so many of our previous geopolitical foes to their group, BRICS especially, to where now they don't need to rely on the U.S. dollar. They don't need to rely on American energy. And because they've got all of each other's backs, they don't have to rely on American defense anymore, which is more red flags than a Tinder date, if you ask me. Noah, I know you're not very happy with this. You are our... They don't uh, don't have to depend on... America for their military defense anymore? Well, as our roving military correspondent, what do you, what do you think? Are we paying for it still? I'm I'm sure we are. Well, then why aren't they relying on us? Because it's easy. It's, oh. it's Joe Biden, the, the empty suit doormat oh. of the president. So annoying. You know, he sniffed a baby in the White House press pool yesterday. I'm not surprised. Just one? Just one. And grand old memes made quite a fire Venn diagram meme in regards to some of Donald Trump's previous statements. The Joe Biden side, eat the baby side sleep and the middle shit, which is the only thing <laughs> that Joe Biden does. I think apparently. he does that. I think he does that on both sides. So, mm. so yeah, you know, we're, we're not seeing much coverage of this. We're seeing a couple of our, you know, reliable Congress people out there sounding the alarms. People like Tucker Carlson, uh, a couple other outlets and here on steak for breakfast, but you're not getting the 24 seven coverage that something like this should be receiving because there are pretty good, reliable sources of information that kind of lead down the path of this to our eventual demise in regards to our place in the world standing. Not like very many countries really respect us right now, especially when you look at the way the country's being ran. John Kirby, who's always the stopgap now for KGP, brought in there to save her ass when, when she's drowning, gave a very verbal, sternly worded letter to the press pool when asked about what's going on with this. Let's hear it. I don't think we're uh, overly uh, exercised about uh, uh, that comment. I mean, these are it wasn't that long ago, MJ, where they were talking about a relationship without limits, right? A partnership without limits. Mm. Uh, so we're not going to get all hot and bothered about the use of friends. What what we've seen is these are two countries that are growing closer together, um, that see in each other uh, useful purposes for pushing back, as I said yesterday, for chafing and bristling um, at uh, a rules-based order around the world. They want to change the rules of that game. In fact, they would love nothing better, both countries, to, to see uh, uh, the rest of the world play by their rules. Uh, rather than the ones that uh, that are enshrined in the UN Charter and what everybody else is uh, is following. Well, it's a good thing we pushed them all together then, so it's they al- can do that. It's also good that he can completely what an idiot invoke the talents of KJP when he's up there at this, you know, on the microphone. The and, only thing he the only thing he didn't say was, as I've said before, and this is historic. Yeah, the funny part is, is that he actually exercised. Yeah, well, he cited himself. On the shit comments he made two days before, which we played on our Tuesday edition of this show, which involved chafing and bristling. Mm. Like, if those are the strongly worded spokespeople for the president message that you're trying to send to Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. No, let's be honest. Behind closed doors, do you think they were, like, looking at memes and just shit-talking Joe Biden? Oh, yeah. They don't give a shit. It's bad. These people are literally just hanging out, biding their time, waiting for their golden parachute to fucking 
catch wind above their heads. Yeah, it's bad. We're, we're, we're in a really dicey spot right now with this, and we do not have the people in command of our military might that have the ability to, you know, lead our brave men and women to achieve any kind of a victory in what's going on right now regarding the situation. And well, maybe a victory in pronouns. Well, they're definitely going to be saying those correctly or you're in trouble, mister. But, you know, you just can't really – you have to look at the players who are – Joe Biden, complete waste. Kamala Harris, complete waste. The White House press pool, complete waste. Then you go out into, like, the cabinet members. Tony Blinken, they dragged him up on Capitol Hill this week to talk about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and, you know, the fallout from Xi Jinping's visit to Moscow and, of course – our favorite warmonger, the real-life Mr. Garrison, Lindsey Graham, had him under the bright lights. Let's hear it. So my point is that we made a mistake, I think, by not having pre-invasion sanctions. We should have uh, supplied more weapons to Ukraine before the invasion to deter oh. the war. We're uh, a tipping point here. China is openly embracing Russia. They're undercutting everything the West is trying to do to isolate Russia. They're buying unlimited oil. I think now is the All time, of this is our Mr. Fault. Secretary, yeah. to label Russia state sponsor terrorism, because they are, mm. oh. up the ante if China wants to continue to help Russia. Uh, would you at least consider that as a deterrent possibility? We want to we look at every uh, reasonable deterrent, but again, when it comes to the SST, and we should talk about this further, I think there are better ways to get at the same, at the same well, thing. Let, whatever those the, ways are, less, we're over a year into this thing. <laughs> How about we just drop sanctions on everyone? Like, oh, you want to work together? Well, now you're both sanctioned. How about that? Well, you know, Tony Blinken, probably the worst Secretary of State in modern history, uh, took those words very seriously in regards to SST and that's state sponsors of terrorism, went back to his office and issued a statement that has nothing to do with the Xi-Putin summit this week. Now, I'm reading now from the official State Department Twitter account, the Anti-Homosexuality Act passed by the Ugandan Parliament yesterday undermined federal human rights of all Ugandans and can reverse gains in the fight against HIV and AIDS. We urge the Ugandan government to strongly reconsider the implementation of this legislation. End quote. That was his statement? One hour after he was up on Capitol Hill. That was the statement. So instead of addressing any of this in the form of a tweet through the official Secretary of State Twitter account, he decided to put out this horse shit. Did you see the, the Ugandan parliament celebrating the passing of an act to ban gayness in their country? It was quite celebratory. And, and not the viewpoints of our show, but I think when strongly worded tweets like this are issued to that governing body, it's like the meme, this is the point where we all laugh, and then they laugh. Um, while there's more pressing issues at hand... Namely, wherever you're listening today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, subscribe to the show, leave a review, rate it five stars, and then across social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast, hit that notification bell, and you'll be all up to date on everything steaks. We're going to have a supply chain expert and economist, Jim Nell's coming in in just a little bit. But we circled back to pronouns, and we're going to stay there because John Kirby was talking about them yesterday. And I think that if we really start to deconstruct what the agenda is for this administration and the fact that they don't care about the mess they leave when they're done, we will get 
our hands wrapped around what needs to be fixed moving forward. In regards to that tweet, John Kirby had answers for that as well. Let's hear it. President Biden has been uh, nothing but consistent uh, about his consistent. Uh, belief, foundational belief in human rights and LGBTQ plus rights are human rights. Uh, and uh, well, we again, humans, back to the yeah. earlier question, are never going to shy away, be bashful about speaking up for those rights and for uh, uh, for individuals to live as they deem fit, as they want to live. And that's something that's a core part of our foreign policy and it, and it will remain so. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. What about how I want to live? So in regards... What about living the way that I deem appropriate? To what's going on in, <laughs> in Uganda and not that has to do anything with the Xi-Putin summit, LBGTQ plus whatever fundamentals, those core values are part of the core values of our United States armed forces. Mm-hmm. I can't with this shit anymore. It's only going to get worse. I told you. I've been telling you that. Buckle up. Mark Alford, one of our great House representatives, was flagged by who you just heard from the top of the show, Congressman Corey Mills, yesterday in committee. And when this came up and they tried to segue to how important it is to discuss pronouns instead of national defense, Mark Alford took Franklin Parker, who was testifying, to task. Let's hear it. You know, this is a troubling time in America. And uh, I, I, I know our freshman class all had a resolved purpose to give up everything they have to be here. Look how pissed To Corey do something Mills is. to help save America. And this DEI hmm. is not helping save America. It's helping divide America. And when my friend Corey here talks about Arlington National Cemetery and going down and seeing all those white gravestones, unless you know that person, you don't walk over there to that gravestone and you don't know what color that person is that lies in that coffin. Yep. We don't need to just be colorblind. We need to walk with unity of purpose, with fortitude and strength that we live in the greatest nation ever. And I don't care what color you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what pronoun you use. We are in this together and we better get it right. Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I don't really. The gentleman's time has expired. Imagine that. Weird. Well, it was a. Uh... Republican-controlled committee, but they do try to keep a brisk schedule there. But, but here's the thing. You need to understand that the things that are getting rammed down our throat right now by this administration after going through two terms of Barack Obama, who was a war president, a racial divide president, a pro-crime president, that Donald Trump tried to put as many Band-Aids as possible on. Remember, it only lasted two years before they gave us the summer of love. They didn't even let him get through a full term. And now you go to the empty suit president who doesn't make war but doesn't care if war is going on around the world. He initiated, essentially, the war in Ukraine. Yeah, he's, it's all our fault. All of this is our fault. He's set the stage for China to take Taiwan tomorrow and us to do nothing militarily about it. And now, instead of being another war president, this is the tank your economy and cater to the radical mobs president. The way history is going to look back at this time period is going to be awful. Yeah, it's like it, it's going to be like what the fuck happened? 
during that period of time. Like that's probably the worst stretch of the United States that we've seen. It certainly is, Noah. And, you know, as one of the only outlets who's accurately and truthfully reporting on what the message is right now regarding this story and how the administration, the regime, is trying to make it not an issue and to just go away. Guys, don't worry about it. So what? G and Putin met? Big deal. They said generational change is coming to the global map. Who cares? Donald Trump might get indicted next Mm. week. Oh, no. Doesn't that sound exciting? I've got babies that I'm sniffing in the White House press briefing room. We're celebrating pronouns and burnt out Marvel actresses giving them medals. Isn't that so much cooler? Dylan Mulvaney hasn't become a statistic yet. And we're hyping him up. He says now he's over a year being a girl. Isn't that great? Congratulations. Yeah. We need to wipe the slate clean. We need to have our Congress people be even stronger in the Republican House than they are being right now. That majority is so slim. They need to band together. They need to not they need to stop worrying about all the things they wish they could abolish, the Department of Education, the ATF, stopping the FBI from building a new headquarters and worry about pumping the brakes on some of these national defense and geopolitical strategies that are just failing at the highest levels possible right now. And I wish we were segueing to better news now, but we're going to be talking about the Biden economy and his proposed budget next year with supply chain expert and economist Jim Nell's in just a sec. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. That's MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show here, he's a supply chain expert, dabbles in the economy, one of our great friends. Mr. Jim Nels is back with us today. How's it going, sir? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's great to be back on with you. Well, it's great to host you, and you've been busy. Three, maybe four articles out just this week, and uh, we're going to touch on a couple of them today. How's everything going on your end? Everything is going great. Couldn't be better. Um, just wish I could afford to fill up the car with gas. There you go. I was going to ask if you're so great. How's that in relation <laughs> to your four hundred one k? So yeah, uh, it's it's a full one and a half now. Oof. It's ugly. Very ugly. Uh, we're all going to be working till we're a thousand years old, so we don't have to worry about them up in the age for social security. Apparently, well, that's only if the world doesn't end. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, Jim, we just finished talking about. China and Russia made it official, Facebook official this week. They came out, tied the knot, um, definitely plotting some bad things for the United States. I don't necessarily think their first line of attack is going to be militarily. I think they're going to try and choke us out in the energy sector and obviously in the economy as well. Part of that has to do with the energy that the United States and most of Europe is tied to guarding these countries, whether it be the EV stuff and, and raw earth metals that we get out of China, and then obviously the uh, fuel and natural gas we get out of Russia. I saw this week, and it kind of ties in with the stuff that's going on with the Biden administration, whose entire take on 
on this. You know, Obama was the drone strike president. And now this is the one that caters to the radical climate uh, lobbyists about going green. You know, you see these windmills and solar farms and all this crap. But the fact of the matter is, is that you really can't go green actually without relying strongly still on nuclear energy, which was the article that you uh, had published in the Daily Wire this week. You want to tell our listenership about that a little bit? Yeah, so my, my premise is that you can't have an intellectual discussion about green energy without talking about nuclear power. Nuclear power is actually one of the cleanest forms of energy. Um, in fact, over the 70 years nuclear power has been around, it's removed two years worth of carbon from the, from the air by the way that it works. It also is extremely renewable. Technology exists to extract uh, additional energy from nuclear waste. There's enough stockpiled in the United States right now to run all electricity in the United States for 80 years. Now, when you see places like along the eastern coast and in places like California where they've had radical progressive governors who cater to the climate change mob shutting down nuclear sites year after year i grew up in a nuclear power plant town and uh even out here in in california you know they were in the complete shutdown of san onofre before they had to reopen it and uh, make it operational again because they realize they don't have enough energy to power the state if they just start shutting every nuclear power plant down at the same time what kind of trouble are we going to run into if these governors that have access and the ability to work towards closing these plants in blue states continue to do so? Well, one of two things. We're going to have to rely on coal, which is twice as expensive, or we're going to have a power grid that's unstable. Look what happened in California where they were telling people not to charge their electric vehicles at night. When are they supposed to charge them? Look what happened in Texas a few years ago when uh, they had those winter storms and, and all the green energy went, went away. Nuclear power is extremely safe. In 17,000 years of reactors running, so if you take all the nuclear reactors that have been around and out of all the time it's been 17,000 years, three incidents, three, one in Chernobyl, one at Three Mile Island, and one at Fukushima. And the one at Fukushima in Japan was caused by the tsunami that killed the pumps to take away the wastewater. It had nothing to do with nuclear power. So you're telling me that climate change is to blame for killing the nuclear power at the power plant? There you go. Well, didn't the Fukushima plant, they, they didn't have, like, safeguards set up to, to actually shut it down in an emergency situation as well? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. The other thing that I, I point out is that green energy is, is impossible to do. So if we wanted to power the United States just with solar and with wind, first we'd make China very rich with all, those, with all the solar panels we'd have to buy from China. Sure. But you would, you would need five states the equivalent the size of south dakota so we need five south dakotas to have enough room for windmills and solar farms to fuel the united states where are we going to find that well where are we going to put the people we'd be annexing portions of mexico and canada to build our solar farms <laughs> why not why not but it's 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 just like i said it was an interesting discussion uh no one, no one who's a true green person, such as Ocasio Cortez, uh, will ever will ever think about this. But even Bill Gates says that it's safe and that we should be relying on it more. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can't cater to the climate mob though by saying nuclear is awesome, and that's kind of the conundrum we're in right now. And in, in well, we're all supposed to be dead by twenty 
23 anyway, so who knows what's going on with uh, climate change. I think John Coleman said it best when uh, he just said it's a way for the lobbyists and the globalists to fill their pockets with money by telling people things that really aren't true. Jim, I do want to segue and kind of stay in the same thread. You had another article come out this week I thought was great in American Greatness. Uh, it talked about Biden's proposed fiscal year 2024 budget. Imagine that. It's too woke and too expensive. If you want to let our listenership know what happened when you uh, broke it down a little bit. Well, first of all, it's I wouldn't even call it a budget. I would call it a fairy tale. The Brothers Grimm couldn't write fairy tales like this. <laughs> he mentions in this budget, climate change is mentioned 148 times. Equity, and they never define what equity means, is in there 63 times, environmental justice 25, and transgenderism 8. There's $2.6 billion for gender equity. I have no idea how you achieve that. But good news is that there's $1.5 billion for environmental justice. So I'm really, really excited that the environment's finally going to get the justice that it deserves because it's been too long that it's been oppressed. Perfect. Yeah, and, you know, we, we, we saw some guys up on Capitol Hill just get absolutely demolished in the last few weeks, whether they be uh, people that were up for federal judgeships that were going to help push some of these things that were going to go into law, whether it was some uh, people who were looking to work in Congress and in places like the energy sector who had no idea what they were talking about. I mean, you had the two climate experts go up against Senator John Kennedy just a few weeks ago, and he got them to admit it would cost 500 trillion dollars by 2035 to get the united states down to whatever carbon net carbon zero and then they had to both admit that if china and india and places like that never got on board it didn't matter how much money we spent we would never get there exactly exactly and that's the that's the fallacy of this whole thing is you you can't go it, it won't make a difference at this point right if China and India keep doing what they're doing, I think China's like opening a new coal plant every week or some crazy thing like that. Yep. And so they're polluting an incredible amount there. Um, so we just need to get people to be a little bit smart about what we're doing and stop trying to push these things. Because, you know, like we've talked about before, right now, if you have an electric car, guess where the power to charge the battery comes from? It comes from coal. Coal. So you are using coal to power your electric car so you can feel righteous about the fact you're not using gas. And that's if it's not at a diesel generator on the side of the highway somewhere. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it's like it, it's like the, uh, the, the nonsense is, it's like, all right, so uh, we don't want to use these gas-powered lawnmowers anymore, so I'm just going to use my neighbor's gas-powered lawnmower. It's like, well, the exact same amount of lawn is still getting... Exactly. Still getting mowed. Exactly. And it's whether or not it's China mowing our lawn or we're mowing our own lawn. Yeah. There's one other thing I wanted to bring up in the, about the budget because it just goes to show that the administration doesn't understand how things work. He wants to provide free daycare and free community college to, to everyone. And unless the teachers are donating their time and some benefactor comes in and builds schools and pays the electric bill and pays the janitorial staff, Nothing is free. It's just free for those who don't have to pay taxes. Oh, imagine that. And, you know, when you see there's over $2 trillion of new taxes uh, interwoven into that proposed budget. I mean, listen, Jim, I mean, you've, you've been looking at this for a long time. Is the only solution, viable solution that you see coming at the ballot box in 2024? Yes, that's the absolute only way this is going to happen. Now, again, this budget's not going to pass because we, we have the Congress and the House of Representatives is not going to is not going to pass this. 
Um, but they're still going to spend billions and billions and billions. The one thing that I'm super glad, though, that they're going to be able to stop is they put something in there wanting to tax people on unrealized gains from, from um, capital gains. So think about this. You buy a house for $100,000. Then every year, would you have to get your home appraised and pay the government taxes on the increased value of the home? And what happens if there's a housing market crash and the value goes down? Does the government write us a check? Does everyone have to get their their artwork evaluated every year? Where, where would that end? And how would you ever enforce it? You obviously couldn't. I mean, I guess you could try with the uh, armed IRS agents that they're looking to bring in there. Well, back like, to the daycare thing. Just imagine what they're planning on teaching your kids at that daycare. Well, it starts, yeah, it starts, exactly. starts exactly. with pronouns. Mm. So uh, you better just be ready for some pronouns because that's what you're going to be getting a heap and helping of in, in addition to your free government lunch. Jim, you can't stop doing great work, and we love when you come and commentate about it on our show. You're going to be joining us again. I believe the 15th of April is when you'll be back. You'll be here in studio with us for the entire show. For anyone that's not following you, they want to check out your articles, I'm going to live link the two latest in the show description today. Where can we check you out? Uh, you can find me at Jim6555 on Twitter. Absolutely love it. Just like this guy loves uh, talking about the supply chain, the economy, and uh, all the great things that we're in for over the course of the next two years. Mr. Jim Nellis, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. I think it's different when you get in there and you're having, I, I could be wrong, but you know we I call wouldn't that. know, but having your fingerprint taken and your picture you, you taken. You know we call that, Mika. What? That's called whistling past the graveyard. He's not looking forward to any of it. He's horrified. He's just talking big. The walls are closing in. As uh, as has been said before, this time, my God, look at all of it. Well, the big question is, is Trump finished yet? As we uh, just wrapped with economist Jim Nels. According to Joe Dushborough and Mika and their panel of five, I'm sure extremely qualified guests, you've heard the walls are closing in for the <laughs> fulfillionth real number time. And, yeah, what it doesn't look like, Alvin Bragg is going to get to uh, do a little indicting this week. It's been pushed to next week at the earliest. He also sent a scathing letter to House Representative Jim Jordan stating that Donald Trump getting ahead of the narrative and teasing his own arrest has put a uh, damper into the situation and kind of a, has gummed things up down at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. I did see last night Boomer Sweat, Sean Hannity, hosted former Vice President, current Judas, Mike Pence, for an extremely vanilla interview. Before we get to that, let's hear Boomer Sweat's sticking up for 45 the second straight day grand jury proceedings were canceled today now bragg is now telling reuters that it was former president donald donald trump that created a false expectation of arrest um it was never actually going to happen according to bragg it seems really after a multi-year investigation uh, the formation of a grand jury, mm. the DA's meeting with law enforcement to coordinate an, an impending arrest of a former vice pre uh, former president. And we're supposed to believe that somehow Donald Trump created the false expectation of arrest. Now, the New York Times, they reported, of course, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, group that they are, 
based on fake news. Anyway, they reported that criminal charges against Trump were likely on March the 9th. That's when they first did it. Remember Maggie Haberman, a Pulitzer Prize winner for a story she got wrong in the Russian hoax? She was all over fake news CNN saying, yeah, <laughs> looks like it's going to happen. Well, that story was out nine days before Donald Trump even mentioned it on Truth Social, his, his uh, platform. So I don't think it was Donald Trump that created the expectation. It was actually Bragg, the media mob, and his office probably leaking to the New York Times and probably others. And Man, I don't think Sean Hannity enjoys the fact that he has a live studio audience right now <laughs> to combat his plummeting ratings, especially when compared to uh, heavy hitters, the Botox queen, Laura Ingram, and of course, Tucky. But he does make a valid point. Alvin Bragg created this situation that he's currently in, whether or not there's any indictable offense there, which we all know there's not. He campaigned on this. He tried to manipulate and bully people within the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to get on board with this. I know of at least two people that walked away from the situation when they said there's literally nothing there. There's not even a corpse to dig up and try to revive Frankenstein style. You literally have less than nothing. You know, then he goes and makes Michael Cohen his star witness, and then has Michael Cohen's lawyer come into the grand jury and say that you shouldn't believe anything that he just said, and he waived attorney-client privileges. Then Michael Cohen's former attorney goes on every major cable news outlet and says the exact same thing. So it kind of leaves him in an indefensible point right now. You've already jumped the gun and leaked to the media that you're going to indict Donald Trump. You want that perp walk, maybe handcuffs, definitely a mugshot. And it's kind of done nothing but sabotage... Not only the deep state's plan to finally get Donald Trump and the walls to close in, but it's also hurt people in the races, especially Ron DeSantis, which we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show. So I said Mike Pence was a guest on Sean Hannity last night, and it was an atrocious interview. And not to take any credit away from the good person that Mike Pence may be or strong Christian that he uh, professes as well. When it comes to what happened at the end of the first Trump administration, uh, he just didn't meet the standard by a lot. And, you know, the fact of the matter is some people are coming in now, everybody from like Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, people that you wouldn't even think on the liberal left in the media and saying like, okay, in this instance alone, not the Georgia case, not possible January 6th stuff, but this one alone, this is a witch hunt. Yeah. And, and you're doing nothing but galvanizing Donald Trump's base and bringing new people in to get behind him because they see it. Yeah, the, the visibility that's on this and, and even the, the, the public that isn't really that news savvy and aware of everything that's going on, they're seeing this, they're like, what? Like, this doesn't even make sense to me, and I'm just like a, like a not even a habitual news uh, consumer. But, you know, this is a point, and we've continued to talk about it, and we'll continue to talk about it when they're done with Donald Trump, who's ever next is next. I think people like Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, and even Mike Pence get this, and... Mike Pence weighed in on the current situation regarding the Manhattan DA last night on Boomer Sweats. Let's hear him. Let me ask you this question yeah. first because it's news of the day. Yeah. And this has to do with Alvin Bragg and the New York DA and what they're trying to do to President Trump. Uh, and you called it, quote, it feels like a politically motivated or politically charged prosecution here. What did you mean by that? Okay. Well, look, I, I think... What, what we're witnessing is what I call the criminalization of politics. 
I mean, the, the truth is, let, let me stipulate, no one's above the law, but no one is below the law. And the American people are tired of a two-tiered justice system in this country. I believe it. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we, we, saw the, we saw the politicization of the Justice Department during the Trump-Pence years. We saw FBI agents falsifying documents to pursue the Russia hoax. Then we saw the whole Zelensky phone call business, and, and, uh, and, and it just hasn't stopped. And here you have, uh, here in New York City, this Manhattan DA who literally campaigned on going after one American. Uh, you have an attorney general in this state that campaigned after going for going after one American. And let me say, I, I know nothing about the allegations. I'm, I'm not here to defend them. And I know that President Trump can defend himself. But the American people are tired of politics playing a role in justice. And I think tens of millions of Americans look at what's happening in the Manhattan DA's office and say, enough is enough. We've got to end this political prosecution of the president and and the the politics that's playing a role in our justice system around the country jim so good mike pence there and, and actually he gives credit to the point noah made right before we listen to the audio um you know and like i said this is an extremely big flashpoint in history regarding the entire judicial process and our politicians because once normalizing stuff like this becomes standard practice it trickles down mm -hmm. and people listening to this show maybe some of your less conservative relatives no one will be safe as long as you have bank accounts and as long as you can get fired from your job and as long as your kids can get kicked out of school and you can get disenfranchised at the behest of people who are trying to push an agenda one way or another it starts here for as likely as the indictment seemed late last week when Donald Trump truth socialed about it. Now I say it's like 50-50. Maybe they just kicked the can down the road to Georgia. Who knows? And uh, we'll still see what happens with the January 6th legal recommendations that they gave to the U.S. Justice Department. That's a whole other beast. We're not talking about radical Soros-funded district attorneys like Alvin Bragg's case up in Manhattan. We're talking about the actual DOJ, and we know what an absolute swamp that is. So the best way to stay in tune, though, with the message that we're cranking out today on, on every show of Steak for Breakfast is to subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, wherever you're listening, Podbean. Find the show, hit the subscribe button, rate it, hopefully five stars, leave a review. In addition, our social media is, of course, Twitter, we're extremely hot on there. True Social, a lot of posting on there. Getter, Instagram. Instagram account's been blowing up over the last couple months. Find Steak for Breakfast podcast. Hit that notification bell. Get in the friends. And uh, we'll be looking to welcome all our new listeners in every single week. Matt Gates, who's been a strong advocate of the president, was all about getting ahead of this narrative right now. You know, he's on the uh, Weaponization of the Federal Government Committee and does a lot of great work up on Capitol Hill. We've seen this play before by the deep state. And, uh, of course, Matt Gates was going to weigh in on his two cents this week, as he's done, you know, basically since Donald Trump ran for office. Uh, they've been strong supporters of each other. And you can only expect the congressman from Florida to come out swinging in regards to the president. Let's hear it. 
Hey, we might not see a court proceeding until we are nearer and nearer to the 2024 GOP presidential race. I know you're a fan of both former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, and though he's not officially said that he's running, uh, there has been a lot of comparisons to the two men. He's now catching flack from uh, Trump backers for seemingly taking a jab uh, at Mr. Trump and all of the details surrounding this, some could say lurid case. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if I were governor of Florida, I would not allow any Floridian to be hauled before some Soros-backed prosecutor in some blue city over politics. And I wouldn't make an exception to not protect the president of the United States. Ron DeSantis should be standing in the breach to stop any sort of extradition of President Trump from the state of Florida. And the fact that he's not doing so puts every Floridian at risk who could be the subject of a false allegation. I know Ron DeSantis well, he's a friend, but he hasn't been the target of false and persistent allegations like President Trump has. And so I don't think he really understands the nature of this fight right now. Uh, I think that it was a bit uncouth for him to take a jab at the former president. And there's a role for the governor of Florida here, I think, to stand up for our state, for the rule of law, and to push back against the Sorosization of the criminal justice system. Well, I like that. What do you Mm -hmm. think? Sorosization of the... Justice Department from the Florida congressman there. And, you know, he makes a great point. Ron DeSantis had a real opportunity over the weekend when he was silent and then again Monday at his public speaking event, which we covered on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, to, as the strong governor that everyone claims that he is, to put his foot down and really stand up to what's going on. In the case of people like Mike Pence and Chris Christie, Nikki Haley's weighed in on it. Obviously, Vivek's weighed in on it as well. Doesn't mean you're a Donald Trump supporter. Doesn't mean that you're advocating for his candidacy to run for the Oval Office again. It means that you understand what's going on. And as a human being that has aspirations to get into the same limelight that Donald Trump shares right now, that you maybe yourself as Ron DeSantis think you're in, should probably stand in the breach, like he said, and and get in the way of people like Alvin Bragg. We didn't see it. We didn't hear anything like that. And we'll be discussing that a little bit later. We're also going to be sitting down with columnist Kenny Cody for the first time in just a few minutes. But I did mention at the top of the segment, you had Jim Jordan coming in hot now with uh, demanding that Alvin Bragg either came up to Capitol Hill or responded officially to their request to find out what the hell is going on at the Manhattan District's Attorney's Office. He talked about that a little bit this morning with Maria. thought it was a great clip. Let's hear it. What is your response to Bragg's uh, response to you? You're breaching his sovereignty. <laughs> well, he, they're, they're saying we're interfering. How about they're interfering with a federal election? Remember, Maria, the, the Justice Department wasn't going to bring this case. The previous district attorney, Cy Vance, wasn't going to bring this case, didn't bring this case. And even Alvin Bragg himself, when he first gets elected, said, there's no way I'd bring this case. I can't put Michael Cohen on the witness stand. I can't have this guy who lied to Congress six times, who went to prison for lying. I can't bring this case. And then all of a sudden he changes his mind. And what was the intervening event? President Trump 
Trump announces he's running for president and he's leading in every single poll. So I think that's what changed his mind. In addition to the two guys we want to talk to, Mr. Pomerantz, Mr. Dunn, who were his assistants and resigned when Alvin Bragg said he wasn't going to bring the case, threw a pitch to fit, got the left all fired up, and now it looks like he is going to bring this case forward. So we want to talk to Mr. Pomerantz, Mr. Dunn, find out exactly what was going on here. And we want the documents and communications. After all, federal money goes to this district attorney's office, and we're talking about the most important federal election we have, election for president of the United States. So you- well, there it is, Noah. I can't lay it out any clearer. You have to understand, in regards to all elections, but most importantly, the one that Donald Trump's currently running in, and that's to become the GOP nominee in 2024 and run for president against whoever the eventual Democrat nominee is, there has to be some kind of stopgap here. Mm -hmm. There has to be some kind of protection for citizens to be able to do things that don't break the law. And just because people who either have an ax to grind, like Michael Cohen, convicted felon, former perjurer, and Stormy Daniels, horse face mm. Michael Avenatti probably as well they find somebody like the Soros funded radical district attorneys and in turn weaponize the justice system to basically play lawfare and we know from speaking to other people close to the Trump team on a regular basis outside the parameters of the podcast that these lawsuits don't start and end with Donald Trump they've made a majority of the people that are working directly on this 2024 campaign lives miserable. FBI at your house, electronics getting taken, dragged in and out of court, and it just becomes so tiresome. Doesn't seem like it's really negatively affecting Donald Trump as much as he would like anybody to lead on. The Soros thing, to touch on that for a second, Get is, it. is really interesting because it's starting to leak more into even just like TV shows. Sure. Like I was watching uh, one of the newer episodes on Netflix or whatever the fuck program it was. And you know, the, the person who's the, the lead in the, in the show is, you know, listening to the radio in the car and it, you know, some Billy Bob on the radio is talking about like George Soros and the, you know, whatever. And everybody's trying to make the frogs gay or whatever the hell it was saying. But I, I can't help but think that, whether or not it's is that just bleeding in there naturally or is it a, or is it a conscious effort to undermine anybody who says anything about Soros yes. like if you if you mention Soros you're one of these kooks like is that is that what the goal is it's not so kooky anymore no it really isn't but i mean is it bleeding in there naturally or is this like a concerted effort to like invalidate people's claims that mention that part of me thinks it's like projection for conditioning for it to not be a ridiculous talking point anymore because obviously the amount of money billions across the country, not only for, you know, uh, governors and house representatives, senators and towards presidents, but now he's into like local judges, mayors, district attorneys of major cities like St. Louis, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, DC, obviously district attorneys offices and judges. If you can't, by the president, as was the case with Donald Trump. You buy everything else. Underneath him, and you make his life extremely difficult. Yeah, it's like if somebody has a property that you want to buy, and they live, they, they have a house, right? They have the nice little house that's, you know, historical from the 30s or whatever like that, and you want to build a shopping mall. So what do you do? Well, I just buy all the property around them, and then I just start construction on everything else and loud music and 24-round, round-the-clock uh, jackhammers until they just give up. Yeah, George Soros has done more to pad the lining of the administrative state than probably anybody ever has in this country before. And what that does is it puts 
things in between the mandate that the American people give to someone who's elected to office to stop them, to accomplish those goals. And you want to talk directly about American energy independence and dominance didn't happen all the way because of the administrative state. The border wall didn't happen because of the administrative state. And a lot of people didn't get fired because of the administrative state. And that's where Schedule F comes in, one of the biggest things on Donald Trump's platform uh, that he's looking to. He actually put out a new 10-point plan. Awesome video. He even set apparatus. Just couldn't find any place to segue it into the show this week. He did? He did. It's on our social medias. But, Damn. You know, it's one of those things. That's what we need to do. We need to Say blow apparatus? up. Well, if you keep saying it, I'm going to keep ringing it. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I actually shared the video, and there were some people, they're going to be in Friends of the Week mentions today, that actually put <laughs> gifts of the bell in underneath the things. Listen, we're, we're starting to rub off on people. It's, it's a good thing. So, because you're getting honest and truthful news here. But getting back to my last point before we jump in with Kenny Cody right now is that these are the things that we need to be super aware of. It's not just Donald Trump in 2024 winning back the Senate majority in 2024. It's what you're doing locally, your school boards, your mayors, your local uh, you know, GOP representatives. All these people factor into the equation. If you see these random people who aren't from your area that move in like a year or two before and now they're running for office and they just walk to an election because it's in some obscure place, and then next thing you know, you're having to deal with pronouns. And next thing you know, you're having to deal with like Ukraine Appreciation Day at school it all contributes to the problem so and believe it or not we're going to segue back to pronouns right now as we're getting ready to jump in with kenny cody for the first time but before we do that let's hear from one of our sponsors you know how you've gotten that chewy hard disappointing jerky from the gas station you got to try some of this jerky we just got from farmer bills it's soft and tender because it's cured and air dried instead of dehydrated like that other junk ingredient conscious there's no sugar no soy or other additives just beef salt and spices working on those gains it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein for two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show on this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's a columnist. He contributes at Newsmax, the National Pulse, and townhall.com, making his Steak for Breakfast debut today. Mr. Kenny Cody, thanks for coming on the show. Guys, thanks so much. I love y'all's show. Y'all are tackling the right issues, and I appreciate it. Well, we try. I mean, we, we got through uh, China and Russia tying the knot previously in the show, and of course, is Trump finished yet? But, you know, you don't hear many of the mainstream outlets really even talking about the China and Russia thing. They'd much rather talk about pronouns, which consequently is why we've got you here today. You just had an article that came out in the Pulse recently. The complacent can look to Tennessee to confront transgender ideology do you want to let our listenership know about this great piece of work you recently published absolutely uh, the tennessee legislator recently passed a bill uh, actually two bills that would ban uh, drag shows on public grounds and would ban general gener- mutilation surgeries so general infirmary surgeries that mainly stem from uh, vanderbilt medical center that were performing surgeries on minors um that's now been banned in the state of tennessee thank god any state-sponsored hospital a private sponsored hospital and on any private grounds uh, drag shows will be banned. So any, any state government-owned land, any federal government-owned land, drag shows will not be allowed. And those that are holding uh, drag shows in private venues are required to give parental discretion and parental advisory warnings the same way movies and other private showings that could be uh, shown to minors and shown to children. They're required to give a discretion warning uh, before kids and minors are allowed to enter. So Tennessee's taking the right steps. 
Um, you know, I, I, I never thought this issue would really be that controversial. I don't know how banning gender-affirming surgery would be controversial at all, but apparently the Democrats, the left, and even some on Republicans are saying it's too far socially conservative or it's too far right when I think it's just purely common sense. Now, when you talk about the long-term effects of some of this stuff here, especially the uh, gender-affirming surgeries, which, you know, Tennessee just dropped the ban hammer on, when you look at the long-term effects socially, development-wise, and then when you tie in some of the long-standing statistics, which at the end of the day, it, it's grim to talk about, but you have to talk about the high rate of suicide and depression and things of that nature, what happened with people that trans decide to transition at such an early age and then immediately as they become an adult have regrets and then they feel like, you know, they don't have the will to live anymore because they're a different person than what they're biologically predisposed to be. This is pretty big for the state of Tennessee here. What really led the charge for this happening, and where do you see it going? Will there be a massive pushback, you think? Or do you think from here they even make some of the standards harder for the trans agenda to be you know, pushed onto the population throughout public schools and stuff like that, and, and essentially on children throughout the state? Well, one thing that I think launched the conversation was definitely the uh, rally to end uh, gender mutilation, which was lit, led by Matt Walsh, was led by a lot of the Daily Wire conservatives out of Nashville since their headquarters is there now. Yeah. Um, that really started the conversation. And as soon as this sort of topic came to the forefront, uh, Tennessee legislators like William Lambert, like Representative Jeremy Fajan, like uh, Speaker Cameron Sexton really led the charge in investigating Baton Hill Medical Center. Um, they actually paused intermutilation surgeries for about three or four months um, and actually led to them getting banned from even doing those through this piece of legislation. So that's what really started the conversation was when Daily Wire sort of outed Vanderbilt. And now I think, especially that, you know, we, we had that whole Randy McNally situation. I think you're right. getting that sort of that hypocritical criticism. But I think a lot of conservatives and a lot of people who are even in, in the middle of the road see this as a common sense policy. I mean, the people that I've talked to, people, I mean, I'm, I'm a GOP chairman where I'm from back home. People don't even know that this was illegal in the first place. They, they thought that this was going you know, to be banned. I mean, I, I'm sure they thought that parental uh, consultations, things, things like that may come into play, but they had no idea that general mutilation and gender-affirming surgeries were legal to do on people that are under the age of 18 in the first place. I think the only thing that is even viewed as somewhat controversial is drag shows. But when you start to explain the legislation as just being banned, on publicly government-owned, local government-owned, or state government-owned property, and then just to get requiring venues that uh, hold drag shows to give a parental discretion warning if anything's sexually explicit in nature uh, to those who are coming in and actually participating in the event. I think it's all just common sense, and I, I'm sure the, the, the far left and um, those who, uh, the Democrats that are in the state of Representatives House of Tennessee, I'm sure they're just trying to argue that we hate trans people or that we are being bigots or whatever, but this is just common sense policy to protect children and i really don't see the argument for it i mean if you are arguing in favor of children being able to see sexually explicit images i think you are the one that's arguing for evil not us kenny what's the agenda big push here what do you think the end game is for this leftist movement that is pushing this degenerate stuff on children across the country and is becoming such a controversial and hot topic uh you know throughout the nation right now we all know what the end game is here, and it's it's the ruination of an entire generation of children uh, to cater to the very of smallest minorities of, of numbers of people who are pushing this. But when you see the federal government, Wall Street, big banks, the Hollywood mob all getting behind this, 
what do you think their end game is here? Like, what's the goal of pushing this agenda on this generation's youth? Well, I think there's two things. Uh, one is from a political strategic standpoint. These people are going to become Democrats. They're wanting to to mold children. They're wanting to mold the young generation into into Democratic voters. I mean, especially in states like mine that are solidly red. They want to capitalize on those who kind of question their morality, question who they are, and capitalize on people who are just fragile-minded and are questioning who they are at a young age. I mean, people who are high school kids, college kids who don't know what they want to be, they don't know what they want to do with their lives, they don't know how they feel about politics, they don't know how they feel about their own morality, and they're capitalizing on that. And basically, you know, hospitals hospitals want money. Um, those corporations want money and they, they're capitalizing on the second point of, uh, that I'm going to make is the mental health health issues in our country. Sure. Instead of treating, instead of creating like, uh, you know, treating transgenderism and treating gender dysphoria as a mental disorder, as it should be, like such as schizophrenia, we are treating it as a promotionary social concept. And we're not really concentrating on how we can help these people, how we can actually aid these people and kind of treat their mental health issues we are instead capitalizing on them from a monetary standpoint we're capitalizing on them as a political standpoint and i think moreover especially when you look at the statistics from the last 10 years you know 40 percent i think 47 percent of of the uh, 18 to 25 population now identifies as some sort of lgbtq i think that's that's a statistic that gallup did which is an insane statistic considering that really about 0.1 percent of the the general population identifies that just less than 10 years ago so i think people are just wanting to capitalize on it from all standpoints be it political be it monetary be it fiscally you know trying to make money off their backs or just trying to mold them into voters i think people are just capitalizing on a mental health crisis that we had going on in the country and it doesn't seem if the policies like this aren't done in states like tennessee then that's where we're going to head is that we're um, people are letting mental health issues be capitalized for political gain yeah it seems like the issue right there and you've nailed it on the head kenny we're going to live link this article in our show description today we're going to pump it out on our social medias again we shared it when you first dropped it over at the national pulse and we're going to hope that in the near future you come back be a regular contributor on the show we loved getting to know you today letting our listenership hear you for the first time for anyone that uh, is listening and want to follow you on social media why don't you give that out and we'll live link it in the show description as well yeah, guys. Yeah, I mean, people can find me on Facebook at uh, Kenny Cody, uh, Instagram same way. Uh, I, I, on Twitter, I'm at KD Cody TN. You can go to Muckrack and find all of my journal archives from the past three or four years. I've got about seventy articles on my Muckrack uh, profile. Um, appreciate you guys having me on. I'll come back on anytime you all want me to. You all are doing a great job, and I really appreciate you having me as a guest. Uh, this guy's doing some big things for the movement right now. Not only is he a columnist, but he's a local GOP chairman, and he's a teacher. Had him on the show for the first time today. Kenny Cody, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Take care. They get mad. I don't do the cocktail parties. I don't like rubbing elbows with other people. I like doing my job and then spending time with my family. That's just what I do. A lot of the people that are criticizing, you know, they would say, oh, he doesn't do well with, with, with donors. He doesn't glad hand with them. And yet I raise more money than any non-presidential candidate in the history of America. Are you kidding me? So we tend to do, we, we, we do well, but I do think that, you know, I deal better with regular people than I do with some of the people in the political class. And I think that has been true for the entire time I've been been around. But I, I was asking about your fingers because of this, I mean, scandal, which broke last week, that you apparently were eating chocolate pudding with three fingers. Now, where did, was that it's, anonymous sources or something? It was a very serious allegation. In <laughs> fact, I congratulated the journalist who broke it on the new Watergate. <laughs> 
But I have to put it to you, Governor. Have you ever eaten a chocolate pudding with three fingers? I don't remember ever doing that. <laughs> I'm telling you, maybe when I was a kid, but it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of people when you're when they go at you, sometimes they have like really good ammunition. Like you're a crook, you did this, you did that. For me, they're talking about pudding. Like, is that really the best you got? Okay. What is your favorite nickname that Trump's given you so far? Is it Ron, Ron de Sanctimonious or Meatball Ron? <laughs> well, I can't... I think uh, even he went off Meatball Ron, I, but... I can't... Uh, I don't know how to spell de Sanctimonious. <laughs> I don't really know what it means, but I, you know, I kind of like it's long. It's got a lot of vowels. I mean, so we go with that. That's fine. You know, you can, call me, you can call me whatever you want. I mean, just as long as you, you know, also call me a winner. So as we're breaking with Kenny Cody, which was great sitting down with him for the first time, we gave you a little, I guess we're calling it a rontage. <laughs> Instead of having to go clip by clip from the blockbuster interview that Piers Morgan hosted over the weekend with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as his campaign continues to crater before it even becomes official. Um, it's kind of embarrassing. Well, here's the thing. When you're not ready for primetime, as a lot of people speculate, you know, Ron DeSantis is now. So he, he's been. All right. Let's just walk this back a little bit. Ron DeSantis is a lawyer. And he's also a vet. He found a way to merge those two careers into one that parlayed into a Florida state branch of the U.S. Department of Justice before he ran for Congress and, you know, did his thing in Congress, voted America first most of the time, some of the important things, not all the time, and went over to try and parlay that into the governorship of Florida. We all know what happened. And we all know what Ron DeSantis's stances and alliances were throughout the course of his initial campaign. And then he took off a little bit. But you have to understand, Ron DeSantis is starting to feel a lot of things that Donald Trump has felt for the last three quarters of a decade. And a big portion of that goes into his legislative policies and things he hasn't been able to accomplish. Yes, he's taken on the woke mob in regards to school stuff. But before any of that can actually be implemented, it's bogged down in court. Same thing with the Soros-funded district attorney in Florida that he suspended from his job. There's a good chance that that guy's going to win a court case and get his job back. In addition to that, same thing with Disney. He fought Disney, and they lost some of their stuff, but they kept an overwhelming majority of it. And at the end of the day, it's a win for Disney. And the, the hits go on and on now. Yeah, that was like his, his crown jewel, and then it just shit the bed. In addition to whatever's going on down there, all of these things that he's combatant have joined forces. So now they're going to have some huge trans summit at a Disneyland hotel. I was about to say at Disneyland. You can't make it up. <laughs> and, and these are some of the things that Donald Trump tried to do with his mandate for the American people. It's amazing. And never got to get done because of the administrative state. He's seeing how the crappy judicial process is for politicians, especially when people underneath you that are career appointees that have no bosses and control everybody's life don't want to work on the stuff that you've legitimately passed in your state Congress. So you take all of that into some of those, uh, you know, talking points from the Piers Morgan interview. Obviously, he's talking about the money. 94% of Ron DeSantis's money that he's accumulated now throughout the course of his non-campaign, his book tour, which are now going to include uh, stops in New Hampshire and South Carolina. Imagine that. Those are very congruent to Florida legislator legislation and what they've got going on down there. Comes from big entities, Wall Street, 
global funding, the singers and the Griffins. And, you know, he doesn't really have that connection with the average Joe, as does Donald Trump, where it's almost reversed. I think 78% of Donald Trump's total money that comes into his campaign is from small dollar amounts and individual donors. So there's that whole, when you're trying to roll out a presidential campaign, courting the base, which is not happening right now. Um, he talked about putting fingers. That's kind of irrelevant. Where does that even come from? Who knows? You know, you had the nicknames things, which you get to hear the awful Ron DeSantis laugh. And then you, there was some other stuff that he talked about that kind of irked me. The biggest one was Ron DeSantis's armchair quarterbacking slash trying to rewrite history on the COVID narrative. Mm. We all know that Ron DeSantis, along with just about everybody else in the country, including Donald Trump, we always like to point that out. We, we don't have selective memory, but we're not going to let other people rewrite history. Lockdown Florida. Port Sand and skate parks, yeah, arrested, that wild. arrested people on beaches, and advocated for masks and vaccine. People start to call out Donald Trump for whatever he did. We also like to remind people with selective history that the COVID vaccine was available during the Trump administration for a grand total of about 50 days. And none of the mandates that came down regarding COVID, whether or not it was developed under Operation Warp Speed during the Trump administration, had anything to do with what the Biden regime did with it. So all those forced vaccinations for your kids, for people in the military, even in the private sector where they advocated for you know big businesses and, and small businesses alike to do it, masks and closures, it's all the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. Most of the country was opening up. Governors were doing whatever they wanted by the time Donald Trump left office. Joe Biden found everybody that wanted to you know be the mob, the Wolfs, Whitmers, Gavin Newsom, Pritzker, and uh, all those other Cuomo, and, and then weaponized kind of what Donald Trump left on the table and used all the morons that he couldn't fire, which is my point. Ron DeSantis said during that interview that he would have fired Anthony Fauci and pushed back against the COVID-19 team, even though there are several tweets, a lot of which I've shared on our social medias from Ron DeSantis advocating for Anthony Fauci, vaccine mandates, get your jabs in the arm, Dr. Burks, and all that other stuff that he says never happened. Fact of the matter is, and we've confirmed this with sources who were as close to the president as you could be at the end of his administration, if Donald Trump would have pulled the trigger and fired Anthony Fauci and disbanded the COVID-19 response team in the middle of a global pandemic when the entire world was locking down, he would have been impeached for a third time. Oh, yeah. And that probably would have been able to sway public opinion to the point to where he actually would have been impeached. Because at that point, you know, the economy was destroyed, education was destroyed, a lot of people's lives were destroyed, and they probably just would have ran on, this man has led us down this road, let's just get him out of office before he does anything else. Before You know, remember, the death count meters on every single channel when Donald Trump was in office, 90,000 people died in Florida. I don't remember everybody having a death meter for Ron DeSantis. That's another fact. So, How about a meatball meter? Oh, it's getting there. I mean, when, when you got articles, two articles in the last 24 hours from the New York Times saying that your campaign's pretty much done, you know you're not in good standing right now. That's awkward. Very. What else was awkward was how Ron DeSantis wants to rewrite his recent history in regards to the narrative he has for the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So Ron DeSantis sent a letter back to Tucker Carlson, who distributed questionnaires to everybody who was already announced for the presidency or were potential candidates. Ron DeSantis was included in that. His response was almost verbatim. Cuts from two portions of policy videos that Donald Trump had 
put out there for everybody to hear and pretty much what his answers were. He wants peace to strength. He wants hostilities ended immediately. He wants both people to the negotiation table. Both countries are going to take losses, and the only people that are going to win is the rest of the world that doesn't die in a nuclear holocaust. Ron DeSantis is pretty much on board with that. Then he started walking it back a little bit, putting out press releases, answering questions from the media, and then he sat down with Eric Bowling yesterday to talk about it. Let's hear this portion of it. The right Ukraine policy, and by the way, just of note, Liz Cheney, Rhino, a former uh, Republican in name only, Congresswoman, said you were weak for changing your position on it. And Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham, took a shot at you as well for 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 your posi- your new position on it. So where where is it? Where should it be? And where, so where should we all, be uh, as first a country? Of all, I, 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 yeah. So so I, I never change too. anything. They're talking about when President Trump was in. Weapons were sent when I was in Congress and I supported, but that was to deter Russia from invading. And you know what? They didn't invade for many years. And that only broke down when Biden got in. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But I think part of the reason was the failure in Afghanistan. I think Putin believed he could get away with more because he saw how weak Biden was. That's a much different situation than now being in a situation where you have Ukraine and Russia fighting over kind of the borderlands uh, there in the far eastern part of Ukraine and over places like Crimea. And my position on that is, you know, I care more about securing our own border in the United States uh, than I do about the Russia-Ukraine border. And it seems like the establishment, some of the people that you mentioned, uh, they ignore the problems that we have here at home as Americans. The border is one that is costing American lives. It's also allowing people coming in from communist China, uh, people from the Middle East, there's suspected terrorists that have come in, uh, and that's just being allowed to happen uh, without any of these people batting an eye. And, you know, that's for the more, that's more or less a non-answer. Did call Putin a war criminal, which kind of aligns up with some former presidential hopefuls, not the one who was in the Oval Office from 2016 to 2021, but more like the ones who ran for office against Barack Obama and lost both times. Think I'm joking. Our next audio clip is even more of a tell mm. on some of the things Ron DeSantis has been saying. But before we hear him, what some of his predecessors have said as well, let's hear that. Uh, Russia is a gas station masquerading as a country. Don McCain famously opined that Russia is a gas station parading as a country. He's basically a gas station with a bunch of nuclear weapons. Hmm. Noah? That sounded like the ghost of John McCain, Mitt Romney, and then Ron DeSantis, all parroting the same remarks. Weird. Weird if a disciple of Paul Ryan was... We got Crenshaw saying that too? Oh, God. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) But yes, that is the establishment, boomer, neocon, forever war, Republican narrative that Donald Trump broke through when he won the presidency and went in a completely different direction with, and the military-industrial complex knows, the media-industrial complex knows, the Florida-paid influencer-industrial complex knows, the money goes dry if Donald Trump is able to win the White House again. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. He will invest all of that money we're wasting in other people's countries with our military might and ridiculous funding to build it here. And we're going to have our military might restored instead of sending it away. So we will be, again, a superpower instead of 
being auctioned off with China as the, really the having us in the crosshairs. Which they certainly do. Um, you know, and, and our pronouns will only be from that point moving forward winning mm. as, as they were during the Trump presidency when no new wars were started. And we saw American prosperity as the major deterrent and, and beacon of hope in, in regards to world leadership throughout the course of his presidency. Donald Trump weighed in on a lot of the stuff Ron DeSantis had going on over the course of his weekend and the start of the week, especially with the Piers Morgan interview in the form of a tweet. Allow me to read it. Noah, try not to laugh. <laughs> now that Ron DeSanctimonious is finally admitting he's in the race by beginning to fight back, and now that his polls have crashed so he has no other choice, let me explain the facts. He is a Republican, an average governor, and he got 1.2 million less votes in Florida than I did. He fought for massive cuts in Social Security and Medicare, wanted Social Security minimum age to be reached to 70 years old or more. He is a disciple of Paul Ryan and did whatever Ryan told him to do. That is going to be the narrative that Donald Trump keeps hammering him with, and if Ron DeSantis keeps spouting out these talking points of ghosts of former failed GOP candidates past, it is not the road that he wants to go down. You know, and and, and we'll touch on this a little bit because they're very sensitive over at the uh, Ron DeSantis camp over there. I like to call it the DeSantis hive. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've got Preston Parra getting ready to come in here for the first time uh, after he had a little bit of a run-in with Team DeSantis camp. And uh, it actually led to the end of his employment for what would be a, what I would consider, Noah, probably you as well, a pro-Trump outlet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's going to be great talking with him for the first time. But, you know, in our last audio clip of the week, one of our great friends of the show, Raheem Kassam, made it up to New York for a peaceful protest with some of the other chads from the New York Young Republicans Club earlier in the week. Vish Burr was there. Gavin Wax was there. Paul Iglesias was there. Mike Crispy was there. And a reporter from Right Side Broadcasting, caught up with Raheem Kassam and asked him about what he thought about the current state of Ron DeSantis' campaign. Let's hear it. Uh, what's your, I mean, what's your gut feeling that's going to happen when this all unfolds? I know that no one has a crystal ball here. We don't know what day. We don't know if anything's going to happen. What, what's your gut telling you right now? Well, my gut is telling me that Ron DeSantis has peaked in the polls. <laughs> you know, I think, I think his missteps this weekend are certainly an interesting uh, focal point of the campaign as it goes forward. But I think it also says this, right? It, it, it's very evident that Donald Trump is the man going forward. Like, like all, he's, he's the oxygen in every room here, politically. When you talk about the legal elements of it, I got to tell you, I don't Good have point. any moles in that office, not yet anyway, <laughs> still working on it. Uh, so I don't know, you know when that's going to, when the trigger is going to get pulled on, on all of that. Um, what I can say to that, is, to all of it is this, it empowers Trump in a massive way. It, re it really does. Uh, it really does. It energizes. People have come here from all over. You know, I've come in from D.C. And he made his appearance felt there up outside the Manhattan District Attorney's office. Don't worry, Raheem. We've got some moles inside there, and, and we've already reported, as we've done from the beginning, two of the biggest courts that the DeSantis Hive wanted was former senatorial candidate Adam Lexalt from Nevada and former gubernatorial candidate from New York, Lee Zeldin. Laxalt made the jump just under a month ago, but I've heard from a very reliable source that he's already looking for a way out mm. and may want to jump back into that Nevada Senate race moving forward. In addition to that... Instead of getting Lee Zeldin, it was announced yesterday on Fox News that Lee Zeldin is opening up a conservative consulting firm. So it will be interesting to see, especially after receiving high praises for the work 
that he's supposedly going to be doing in the 2024 election cycle from Donald Trump at CPAC. What Lee Zeldin will do, will he be representing the DeSantis hive or will he be representing Trump world moving forward? These are a lot of questions that only time will tell, and we'll continue to bring you the latest insider additions from both camps. But, but as we're getting ready to jump in here with Preston right now, we're going to take it over to the phones. Joining us next on the show, he's a journalist and occasional political operative. He's making a steak for breakfast debut today. Preston Power, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, we've liked your work here on Steak for Breakfast and tracked it up until about last week when you ran into a little bit of Team DeSantis down there at Right Side Broadcasting Network. You want to tell our listenership, especially those who are hearing about you for the first time, what exactly happened, where you worked, and how it all went down? Sure. So uh, I first started the position at the end of October of last year, and I was very excited to start with with them because, you know, they've been a very pro-Trump outlet. That's kind of what they were founded on is being a pro-Trump outlet. And I'm a, I'm about as pro-Trump as you can get. I've got an Instagram page set up with almost 30,000 followers where I post memes and things like that that just, you know, kind of rally up the Trump base. And so when I got the job, I was very thrilled. And you know, I was writing for them. I was doing all these Trump pro Trump pieces. And I got a call last Thursday or a text rather uh, saying, Hey, can we need to set up a call for you to talk with the chief editor? And I get on this call on Monday morning and I'm made aware that I'm going to be terminated basically because of some, you know, meatball Ron memes that I posted to my <laughs> Instagram page. And, uh, and I mean, these were very lighthearted memes. I mean, they were mainly just play lighthearted plays off of you know trump's jabs calling him to sanctimonious things like that and so i was immediately taken aback because you know rsbn as of lately has tried to take more of like a an even-handed approach toward covering ron DeSantis and and donald trump and so um in that they've kind of left behind their you know commitment to being you know just trump's Thing, which is fine if that's what they want to do but being terminating someone for making memes on their personal account about a public figure um and possibly a presidential contender i mean i just think that's ridiculous and i said as much i said i feel like i'm being muzzled i you know i'm not trying to change your mind on this but i feel like i'm being muzzled and the response was you're not being muzzled but we don't want you know, Ron DeSantis's team to not work with us or give us comment uh, because they know that we contract writers who say these types of things about him on social media, which my initial thought from the jump was, well, then he doesn't have thick skin. You know, he, if he can't handle that, I'm an opinion piece writer. My whole thing is to give my opinion. And so uh, I posted it on Twitter, told the story mainly to just inform my readers, my normal readers that I wasn't going to be posting there anymore. Um, and even said that there was no will, ill will intended uh, toward RSBN. Um, but I, I ended up taking a nap for about 20, 20, 30 minutes, I remember, waking up and my Twitter post had exploded. And people from the entire MAGA base had rallied behind me saying, this is ridiculous. How could they do this? Have they sold out? This is not on par with their America First brand. And they just had my back completely. And so it's been such a tremendous thing to see. Yes, we did. You got to like that. I'm not muzzling you. I'm just muzzling your First Amendment rights. Right. Well, exactly. That that true. And then we we actually just discussed the cratering campaign or 
lack thereof, of Ron DeSantis in just our last segment. And it seems like that we do a Friends of the Week segment in the end of our show every week. We talk about the people who shared our stuff across social medias. We like to give them a little bit of notoriety. Of course, the meme makers direct everybody that's listening to go and follow all of those accounts, which are the gold standard. And then this week I was looking at it and I was like, you know what? We have to have a not Friends of the Week because... Six of Ron DeSantis' big guns blocked our account on Twitter this week just for kind of shooting the facts. And, yeah, so Right Side Broadcasting wants to play both sides of the fence. They had kind of been, like, the top coverage, well, apparatus, for, you know, everything Donald Trump over the course of the last six and a half years. I mean, they do cover-to-cover rally uh, coverage where it starts out at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning and they go all the way up through the the post-game interviews. And now because there's a... Fear of Donald Trump having an expiration date either at the end of his next term or maybe even in the Republican primary, which we don't believe is going to happen. We believe he's actually going to walk, which a lot of the poll numbers support right now, that, okay, maybe we do have to look for the next best option. But at the same time, it comes at the expense of of journalists like you who, like you said, you're an opinion writer. Sometimes you share memes. And if people on Ron DeSantis' team got butthurt over... I'm not going to lie, an opinion writer at Right Side Broadcasting Network right now. I mean, I've seen a couple heaters from the Daily Beast and the New York Times over the last 24 hours that they should really be worried about. But, you know, they, exactly. go, they go and try to get you fired from your job. That's ridiculous. And, and wound up accomplishing that. Yeah, and exactly. I, and I've, I've said, you know, if it had been, I guarantee you some of those people with these other more extreme outlets on the left and things like that, they're saying a lot worse about some of their some of their folks, but they're not getting canned for it. And really, they shouldn't, honestly. I wasn't saying anything that was, you know, a serious offense or egregious. They were lighthearted memes. And, you know, I guess Ron DeSantis' base is not strong enough to take that. But one thing I do want to say is I just have to say thank you to all of those meme pages like you were talking about and everyone who came to have my back right after it happened because those meme pages are a lot stronger than you think. And every single one of them, for the most part, those pro-Trump meme pages came and just and they did a release, RSBN did a release and said, tried to spin the story and say that Ron DeSantis directly, you know, that people were saying Ron DeSantis directly got me fired, which I never, I never said that. Right. I said that, you know, they didn't want to risk it. They were scared that he wouldn't work for him. And all the people flooded their comments. I don't know if you Poppy Trumpo's uh, Twitter page, everybody came in and just hammered them for it. And so I just really got to say thank you to them for that. Yeah, you know, the, the tide has turned over the course of the last couple of weeks. There was a time where I couldn't log on to social media and just as kind of a brand, you know, the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you feel like every single comment is like a, a negative Trump article. Trump is finished. The walls are closing in, all the classic ones. And then all their D and shit tier memes that they kind of try to drop. And then something right. happened. You know, the possible indictment happened. Donald Trump released a couple hot policy videos. He did, you know. He went to uh, East Palestine, CPAC, and then did uh, Davenport, Iowa, back-to-back-to-back weeks. And next thing you know, we're back. And not only back, but dominating. And that's kind of what the race is shaping up to look like moving forward. Do you see it as the same? Yes, absolutely. I was talking to one of my friends last night who works on Capitol Hill, and and he was saying – Man, this this indictment scheme was probably the best thing that could ever happen to Trump because not only did it show everyone that the weaponization of public office and and the justice system has been a constant cog in the machine against Donald Trump, but it also showed him Ron DeSantis could have made this easy. He could have just said, 
yeah, I'll have Trump's back. And he would have looked noble for doing that. But instead, he went on some media spiel and had to make his little five minutes of pettiness. And what did he get for it? Terrible PR and terrible poll numbers. So honestly, it was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah, it certainly is. And then you have some news for our listenership today. You broke it on your social medias earlier this morning, but we'd like for everyone that's listening to the show and might not yet be following you on Twitter or Instagram to find out you kind of uh, had a good situation fall into your lap. Let's hear it. Yeah, so uh, the chief editor, Tom Papper of Valiant News, uh, he tweeted me uh, when I posted all that stuff and said, hey, I messaged you. And I turned my, my inbox and he said, hey, Come work for us. You know, we're not going to censor you. We're not going to tell you what to do. And, you know, especially when it comes to memes and things like that. I get on the phone with him. The best guy. I mean, he's just so sincere, so genuine. He says, write an opinion piece for us uh, and, and talk about the censorship. So that's coming out here soon. Um, but no, it, tremendous opportunity. I'm so happy to be starting it. Um, and I think it'll be a great way. Uh, for me to be able to voice some of my concerns for Ron DeSantis running, you know, a lot of people have been trying to make uh, DeSantis out to be better on COVID and to be uh, less establishment, not doing all these other things. Meanwhile, he had 14 day quarantines in Florida. He was jabbing old people in the arm on national television. Uh, he's he's practically endorsed already by Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Jeb Bush, BlackRock, the Lincoln Project, you name it. They support him. Um, his his polls were truly in the tubes uh, when he was running for governor. Trump gave him his endorsement, and years down the line, he can't have enough principle and enough integrity to respect the fact that Donald Trump is the clear and present leader of the Republican Party. He wants to have his, you know, his own fame. He's only concerned about his own image, and that's why he's running against Trump. And I think, honestly, I'd be surprised if Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney weren't a part of his campaign team. <laughs> Maybe by the end they might as well be. Preston, this has been great sitting down with you for the first time today. We're going to have you back at a point in the near future when you get your footing, start pumping out op-eds again and keep tracking you because you're exactly what we need in, in you know the movement here for the base. You're someone that understands what's going on with politics and this political climate at such a young age, and we think that's an invaluable asset to have to the team. So anyone that's not following you, we're going to live link your uh, Twitter and your Substack in the show description today, but is there anywhere else you want us to be tracking you? Uh, Instagram, it's the Preston Para. Twitter, the Preston Para. You can find me there. I'm constantly posting about how everybody needs to be aware of the uniparty controlled opposition that is Meatball Ron. Mm, love it. This is the newest addition to the Valiant News team over there with uh, Papa Paps and friends. Preston Para, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me. Not a bad way to end the week. Noah, busy news week here on Steak for Breakfast, but I think we handled it pretty well. Rate it. Ooh. Nine and a half out of ten. I like it. Leaves room for improvement, as we're constantly reminded of from uh, the powers that be. If you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now almost 225 other editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podata, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Upcoming shows, we got a couple reschedules coming in here, but we're going to handle it. Boris will be here on Tuesday. i got to figure out a couple other guests before then, but don't worry about it. It'll be extremely America First content, as always is, on Steak for Breakfast. Brian Lieb will be making his Steak for Breakfast debut on the 31st. John Solomon circling back. And we've got a reschedule with Congressman Max Miller, Christina Bob, and Mark Mitchell of Rasmussen Pulsing. Polling 
is coming in on the 4th of April. Jake Denton's in on the 14th. So is Jim Nels and Josh Hammer will be circling back on the 18th of April as well. Guys, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners. When you do that, the only thing that happens is you hate make small American businesses great again, namely MyPillow. Buy one, get one free. Was all I could say for the MyPillow version 2.0. Just enter promo code STAKE at checkout. You'll enjoy that savings. You want the coffee? And a promo code STAKE here. You're getting 25% off your order. Make it 50% off if you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear. And the best damn headphones that I've ever owned. Apparently, Raheem Kassam as well. Can only be found at Odyssey. I love them. If you're in the studio, you're getting serious, writing music, starting to record, maybe doing a little podcasting, make the investment. Odyssey.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Brought Noah some uh, Italian-style pesto man rub chicken today. Ooh, that was good. He got an approval rating uh, for man rubs. That, entered, one, that one gets 10 out of 10. Oh, I like it. You enter promo code STAKE, you're getting 15% off. Manrubs.com. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook too. Our good friend Alan is the CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company. Get a promo code stake here. Getting 15% off your total order. All orders over 100 buck. Of course, free shipping. And a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. Get a promo code stake here. Getting $5 off your order. Put together a 12-pack free shipping. See all the great stuff they've got going on at FarmerBill'sProvisions.com. Friends of the week. Let's see what we got. Wrote my list down right here. Of course, our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, Siberian Kitten, Beastie Man 420, CSM Master, and the whole Minecraft crew. We love them and they love Sharon. Steak for Breakfast Podcast talent. Twitter friends, Brendan Dilly and the Dilly 300. You guys are coming in correct lately. I love the uh, online collabs with the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Everardo Morin said I was going to do it. Nick Cox. Called out apparatus first from one of our posts. I said I was going to mention it. Me and Vish Burrow were tag team botting people on social media this week. <laughs> NN. Noah, be ready. Ghost Hammer. Oh, scissor me tambers. Miguel Fornia. Fleckus was sharing. He was caught sharing steak for breakfast content this week. VK Spoopy. Nightwing X. Tick Tick Boom. Ultra Maga Fran. Freedom Shay. Ash in America. Andrew C. The Last Refuge account. We body people together as well. And William S. And then we got the mean team. Lauren Eve, the first E is a three. Who White memes? Machiavelli memes. Dumbass Photoshop, the silent meme majority. That Southern dude. I meme, therefore I am. William Avaca memes. Mostly peaceful. Silver memes is back. Just want to let everybody know. Go ahead and follow that account. And real Brenda memes. No, we got a new category today. What do we got? Not friends of the week. Ooh. These are the accounts from the Ron DeSantis campaign that I was blocked by on social media this week. <laughs> Bill Mitchell, GoFundMe fraudster. Dave Reboy did not like the fact that I pointed out that he looked like a wish version of Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. Ooh. The gay who strayed do not invest in child actor influencers. Marina Medvin, you suck on Fox News and you can't handle the heat on Twitter. And of course, the biggest one, Jesse Kelly, you're garbage. Guys, thanks for remembering between now and next show. Number one, do your own research. You want to know why the DeSantis team can't handle the smoke on social media? I'll give you a little bit of uh, extra credit. It's because they can't handle the heat. 
Number two, start a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Flip-flopping on your stance of Ukraine is not talking about American greatness. Saying you're going to end the wars immediately is we need to start talking about American greatness more often. We don't talk about it enough. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 224 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back 225 on Tuesday. Boris Epstein is going to be here at the very least. On behalf of the pod team... I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Guys, have a great weekend. Make sure you enjoy the huge Trump rally that's set to be on Saturday in Waco, Texas. Thanks for listening, and take care. What the? You've been meatballed. (laughs) Are you ready for some meatball? Oh, man. (laughs) This is not very clever, Jim. I know. (laughs) Look for your stapler. Really, Jim? Really? (laughs) Very funny.